Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I should feel guilty right now because I've just done something that I feel like no mother should do, but maybe we all do. And that is that I just had lunch. I had a little sweet craving and the only chocolate I could find in the house was Alf's secret stash of Kinder Bueno little bars that he loves. And I thought, do you know what? I'm pregnant. He's not. They're getting demolished. Do I, should I feel guilty or not? I'm not sure. But anyway, I've just really enjoyed eating all four bars of Kinder Bueno. And now I am pumped and ready for today's podcast. And normally I do a little intro where I, I catch you up on what's been going on. But I actually really want my guests to have this debate with me in my intro um, because I feel like I need a veteran mum to chat with about this so I'm just going to go straight in and introducing her so my guest this week I'm so excited about she is one of my favorite people to follow online she is a writer a performer an author a podcaster and do you know what she doesn't say this but I'm gonna say actually maybe you do say this a comedian she honestly really makes me laugh with her uh, videos lots about motherhood but also um, she has lots of viral videos on a much more important and serious subject matter around feminism and women's rights she released a book I don't know if I'm allowed to say the f word if it punishes me in the podcast um anywhere but it's called fucked at 40 life beyond suburbia monogamy and stretch marks um and i just love her because she is dedicated to promoting gender equality um championing women and she just talks so articulately and did i mention she's funny as well and she is also a mom to three girls so really the perfect person to talk to to find out more about raising them given that I will soon be a mum to a daughter as well it is Tova Lee hello hello I'm so happy to be here finally yes I'm good I'm really really good how are you more importantly you look you look really well you look glowing is that annoying when people say that to you do you hate it do you know what it doesn't annoy me but I I feel like in my head I always think it's Charlotte Charlotte Tilbury's Hollywood glow, but thank you. <laughs> it's definitely not a pregnancy glow, it's a Charlotte Tilbury glow. But yeah, do you yeah, know what? Yeah. It actually doesn't annoy me because obviously it's nice, but it does annoy me that it stops in the postnatal period because I yes. feel like that's when you really want like the compliment. And sometimes I'm like, I'm not growing. I'm not glowing. I look like I could be coming to haunt your house, but you say it <gasps> to pregnant people. It's like kind of like a thing that you say, isn't it? And then when you're when the baby's actually here, you're like, wow, you look tired. And you're like, no, this is actually just my face, but this is my face without (laughs) makeup because I haven't had time to do my makeup. (laughs) Do you have uh, a lot of pictures from uh, when your your son, right, was um, very little? Because I I barely have any pictures of that period. I and, And the ones that I do have, I look gray. My face is just gray. It has absolutely no, I, I look dead. Like I really, really do. I sort of regret not taking more pictures though. How old are your girls now? So my eldest is 11 and I have twins and they're nine. Oh, so see, I was going to say that I do have lots of pictures, but I think it's because I've grown up in the sort, I, I became a mom in the Instagram era. I think yeah. had it had it been like, 10, 15 years ago, because I, I barely have any pictures from back then, apart from the blurry drunken ones that I put up on Facebook. 
By the way, why did we used to go on nights out and post an entire 60 photo album of our night out? But anyway, yes, I actually do have lots of pictures of both Alf and me. And it's interesting because I feel like you really see the shift in my mental health of going through that sort of optimism at the beginning. Obviously, everyone's timelines and experiences are very different. But mine was like the first four months of, oh, my God, this is amazing. Why didn't I do it sooner? Everyone should be a mum. This is the best. You're so tired, but it's so worth it. And then I feel like four months in when you're like, wait, I don't, I still don't get to have a lion. My life still isn't back to normal. And then I, and then I see like just death behind the eyes. Wow. No, no, I know. This is actually what I wanted to chat to you about to begin with. I was going to do it as an intro. And then I thought, well, who better to speak to than what we like to call veteran mums. But I had a lovely guest on my podcast last week who has a son who's seven weeks old and she was amazing. And it's so nice to reminisce in that sort of newborn bubble and she had a positive birth and it's amazing. But, and this is the but, and it's a huge respectful but because I was in that camp in my newborn days as well. But I feel like and I want to ask you if this is normal and if you're listening I want to ask you if you're someone who would be a veteran mom there's a a real difference between people who are pregnant for the first time and in the newborn stage and then the mums who have slightly older children obviously Alf's Mm. new too I'm finding it hard to articulate it because I don't want it to sound like I'm being offensive or rude at all but it's like there is a sort of optimism in the beginning or or an idea, a sense that it it's really tough, but it's worth it. And I'm still figuring it out. And an idea that maybe when once you get to six months, you have it figured out. And so it's really hard to listen to that. And obviously you love the optimism and you don't want to project any negativity onto them, but you can't help thinking like when they say I'm really tired, but it's worth it. You can't help thinking like try try two years in. i don't know i mean uh, to be honest like i i I don't remember even feeling that optimism you talk about (laughs) really yeah i think i i probably represent a completely different um experience to you i had awful birth stories traumatic like really really not good both times around and the first you know few months were very difficult physically, mentally, emotionally, in any, in any shape or form. So for me, when I look back at the time when they were little, I don't have good memories of that at all. You know, with my, with my eldest, it probably got better sooner because she was a singleton. So, you know, I sort of uh, somehow, I guess at some point got my head around it because it was one baby. And then I thought, okay, I can do this again. It's going to be okay. Cause I, I know now what to expect blah, blah, blah. and then of course we got we had twins and no one no one can prepare you for, for what that means i honestly don't know how you parent twins a friend of mine just had twins and they were very wanted and um, she had a toddler yeah, of course. they were doing ivf and so obviously it's like amazing that she had twins but i think like how? How is exactly? How do you do it with two of them? Exactly, and we really wanted. Uh, of course, they were all very much wanted, and we also had uh, not IVF, but we had IUI. So actually, the chances of us having twins were, you know, were they, they were there. It, it was a possibility, but we didn't really think about it. <laughs> so we were clearly a bit stupid and didn't really consider it because I had preeclampsia. So my story is really complicated. I was in hospital for two months before they even, you know, they were born. And my daughter was just had just turned two. So it was really, really difficult. And, you know, I I don't have family in the UK. So we were quite it was just us. Anyway, all that together. I think it was three days in. I turned around to my husband, Mike, and I said, right, how much money do we have in our savings? And it wasn't a lot. And I was like, we are getting all the help that we can afford. And that's how we handled it. We got people to help because I had no family. My mom, my sister were 
away. And this is what I say to, cause I had so much guilt around that alone, by the way, you talked about mom guilt. You just mentioned it earlier on. Like I had so much guilt. What's wrong with me? Why can't I do it by myself? There's other moms out there who have twins and they are doing it without help. But I knew, I knew that I couldn't do it. I knew that I couldn't do it. Like I was so broken. Uh, and, I, and I do think it had to do with physical, uh, you know, I have two months pumped up with drugs. I had eclampsia 12 hours after they were born. I ne- I crashed, like I nearly died. So my body was broken and I don't think I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm quite strong uh, mentally, but when your body is in that much pain and it's been, you know, it's been through that much trauma, it doesn't matter how, strong you are mentally. I couldn't, I just couldn't. Um, and you know, and I did feel very guilty and there was a mom, uh, who I never met, <laughs> who my brother got me in touch with as uh, she lives in Paris till this day. I never met her. And he said to me, I've got this friend. She had twins. I think you should talk to her. Cause I was like, you know, crying. Oh my God, I, I failed. This isn't, you know, what am I doing? And she was so kind to me, this stranger who spoke to me very early on and, and sort of told me, you know, like what I needed to hear, I guess, in that moment, uh, which was that I was doing the best thing for me and my babies because I knew what I was capable of doing in that moment. And she also talked to me about her experience. And when she had her twins, she went through something quite similar and found it very difficult, but didn't ask for help. And she, she talked about the price that she felt she paid for not having the help and trying to sort of doing it herself and looking back. And we always look back and we think, oh, maybe I should have done this or maybe I should have done that. Uh, so her experience was looking back and thinking, God, I wish I had asked for help because actually maybe, you know, it would have been better. So yeah, so I, I don't look back and think of those were difficult times for me it became really great and like love, love, love it all from, I guess, around the age of five. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Someone told me, Oh, from the age of two, it gets so much easier, but not when you have three children under the age of two, that's a different uh, califish, but, um, but yeah, from the age of five, we're at the sweet spot now. I love it. Not everybody is into the baby stage and, took me a long time to be able to say that because you, you, we have this like babies, you love babies, but not everybody, you know, for me, I love my kids now, like we chat and they're funny and we can do stuff and it's the sweet, the sweet spot uh, before they turn into teens and don't want anything to do with me, you know? So I actually love <laughs> that. You said when we were discussing about what to talk about, you were like, they're actually really fun now. So I've got nothing to complain about. So maybe that's boring, but do you know oh, yeah. what? I think it's so important to, talk about the fact that not everybody enjoys that sort of baby stage or the toddler stage or whatever it was, because, you know, I love that four month newborn phase. And I also appreciate now that that comes with the privilege of having your child being healthy, not having them have colic. Like there, I feel like there's such a forced positivity on mums that if they're not happy, it's because they're not grateful or they're, you know, oh, mums are so negative. Mums are so negative. We hear it all the time. And there's this sort of idea that we praise the mums who like buckle up and get on with it and do childbirth uh, pain-free. And also if you don't feel that connection, there is like, you're a witch. You basically should be burned yeah. at the stake. And yeah. I've, I had so many dark thoughts from six to 12 months because I never wanted children. And you know what? I'll be honest. I still sometimes think all the reasons I didn't want children for are what I don't enjoy about my life now. And so mm-hmm. even though I love Alf now, like I, I think toddlers are awesome, which is funny because I never liked toddlers before. And I was like, oh, babies will be cute, but then I'll have a toddler. Uh. Whereas <laughs> now I'm like, they're so cool. Like even their little challenges, it's so like fun to watch someone experience everything for the first time and to learn. But there's still a part of me. And I say to Tommy, I'm like, I'm learning to be happy again, but I was happy before I had a child. And all the things that made me happy are things that I can't currently do, like be spontaneous, see my friends all the time, go traveling. And so it's almost like I'm trying to rebuild a happiness. So it's actually nice for me to hear that you didn't feel like you enjoyed it until five because it makes me and hopefully others (laughs) feel reassured that it's like okay I'm not I'm not a witch but I've also always known that I'm a good mom so that's why I feel like I can say these things because 
I've I've never doubted my capability of being a loving mother. No, totally. Same. I mean, again, I, I think maybe for me it took a bit longer uh, and it had a, I, I had to do some work on actually perspective because I think, you know, especially if, well, you hopefully you enter parenthood with the best intentions. And so you want to do the best job that you can. And if you're a person who has quite high standards and sort of is quite um, harsh on yourself with everything and you're a perfectionist, then you're going to, be a perfectionist also in your approach towards parenting. And, you know, that's already a recipe for disaster because parenting is something you can't really prepare for. I had ideas maybe of what I was going to be like, but in practice, it just comes as a surprise sometimes. And actually I learned uh, something from my husband, you know, we always laugh at like uh, how, I don't know, dads like don't have dad guilt or they just maybe they lower the bar a bit, but not in a bad way, just in a sort of like they'll pat themselves on the shoulder more than I think moms do. Sometimes that's a massive generalization, but maybe society pats them on the shoulder a lot. More that too, moms. that too, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And we had all of that as well. The sort of, Oh my God, he's a saint for, you know, for doing pickup and all that, of course, where I, I did it for like six years straight. No one said anything to me. So yeah, we had all of that, but, um, but you know, we had a moment in our, uh, in our relationship where we both kind of dropped the ball and it was both of us at the same time, we just forgot something and it wasn't in the diary and we didn't make it. And we kind of rushed there and got there late and made it eventually. And I was tormented with guilt about the fact that we had forgotten in the first place, but Mike was able to see how we, when we found out how we dropped everything and, and raced and, and made it in time. Like he was able to see the glass half full, whereas I was only able to see the glass half empty. And I thought, God, there's so much in, in that moment, just about perspective. I take all the great stuff I do as a mom for complete granted. Like I don't for one minute go, God, you're really great mom for doing this or that. I just noticed the stuff that I don't do. And I think that's where mom guilt actually comes from. It's just the the sort of the perspective, not looking at the, um, at the stuff that you do. But for me, going back to the other things that you said about life before, I only had my first when I was 35. I don't know how old you were when you yeah, had- Yeah, I was 34. Uh, Maybe I was uh, okay. 35 now, Same. so yeah, 34. Ah, okay. Okay. So, so similar age. I, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I miss so much stuff from life before. I feel like my life before I don't, I'm not living my life before, you know, I don't know if you can understand this, but like, or you can relate to this. Like when you think about almost like you're living a few lifetimes in one life. So like mm -hmm. my childhood feels like it was a different person. It's not even my life. It's someone else. Yeah. And then I think about my teenage years or, you know, growing up in Israel, my twenties, my life now resembles nothing. It's not the same people. It's not the same environment. It's nothing. So sometimes I think about my life before kids in the same way. It's like, now I'm just living a different life. <laughs> it's just, I can't explain it. Um, and I don't compare because it's, just a completely different life. Did you compare in the early stages of motherhood though? Because I definitely feel like I'm struggling mm. to let go of the chapter. And I think because I was in my mid thirties and I'd been single for six years. So a lot of those, those final years of my thirties, it was about re rebuilding a life. You know, everyone's saying, when are you going to meet someone? And this idea that you needed a man to settle yeah. down, to be happy with that. I, put so much into like my happiness and my independence that I genuinely got to a point where I was like, this is great. I don't need anyone. Like I don't, I don't need kids. I don't, and I could, I could enjoy like the travel and the friends. And I was kind of living this sex in the city sort of life that, you know, lots of people would envy. And then lockdown happened and I met like, you know, Tommy and babies and everything came so quickly that I'm still a bit like finding it hard yeah. to let go of that chapter. Cause it wasn't necessarily a conscious decision yeah come out of that chapter so did you find in your sort of what they call matricense journey so your initial few years of motherhood that you were struggling to close the chapter or were you like not really I think we I think I probably was ready I mean like you I never really it's not that I didn't want children I just didn't really think about it like it wasn't you know I wasn't like oh god I can just can't wait to get married and have lots of babies like it really wasn't me I wasn't the type that would see other people with babies and go, can I hold your baby? Like not, it wasn't, 
it wasn't on my radar at all, but I was married previously. I divorced and then, and still wasn't really thinking. And actually it came out of that experience thinking I'm never getting married again. Like, I don't want to be married. I don't, I don't want any of this. And then I met Mike and I don't know. I had something, I guess I went, Oh, okay. I don't know. I was ready when, and also this will sound so, I don't know, this will sound weird, but okay. Mike's older than me. He's eight years older than me. And when I met him, I don't know when I met him, I suddenly wanted children like before that I didn't. Uh, and then we went and we couldn't get, we didn't get pregnant for a while. And then we went and started getting like checked up. And then they told us we might not be able to have children. And for me, that kind of changed everything. So just the thought of, oh God, like I never really wanted or necessarily thought about it, but I always kind of assumed we would, I would maybe, you know, I'd be able to. And then when that was sort of almost taken away from me, I, I suddenly panicked, you know, I was like, oh God, you know, I, I maybe I do want children now. So it was a process, but I felt very ready. But what I will say is that jumping into parenthood and having three children very, very quickly and not thinking about it because you just, you feel like you're in a fog. That's how I felt. So I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention. And what was, what got lost in that time was, yeah, a lot of me. So I came out of that fog after five years, looking back, I think like you're, you're very aware of it, but I wasn't. And it, after five years, when I came, came out of it, I realized that I had no idea what, who I was and what was left of me apart from just being the mother of these three very young children. Um, and you mentioned the book in the beginning. That's exactly what the book was about. Fucked at 40 was about my midlife crisis that I had in my early 40s when my kids were just that little bit older and I was able to go like, oh my God, what's left? You know, where is that girl who loved snowboarding and loved, you know, adventures? And where is my sexuality? Is there anything left? You know, like all of that. I mean, yeah, sexuality. I mean, baby that wakes up at four in the morning we go to bed as soon as we can I mean it's not that sexy is it especially being pregnant as well and then all the things that you enjoy like you were saying snowboarding so how how do you find yourself again because I always said and I feel like we all say this is I'm not going to lose myself in motherhood and I look mm -hmm. at some people and they seem to really do it well and I'm envious but then at the same time it's like but I was breastfeeding so I couldn't go out and do all of those things. Obviously I could have made a decision to like, I'm going to stop breastfeeding, but even as I'm about to re-enter, you know, that first year of motherhood again, it's like, am I going to lose myself all over again? Like, do you, cause it's hard not to when you're raising babies. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of it is something that you really can't even help because think about it, especially for moms, uh, you know, just think about the most simple thing. It, your body, right? So I, I feel like I lost um, autonomy over my body. You do as a mother, uh, you know, even from the stage, even from the moment you are pregnant with all the, you know, the tests, you know, and they touch you and you have to like, you feel like I felt like slowly detaching from my body. Like I had to detach from it because, and then you have your baby and again, traumatic births and all of that, but also, you know, the breastfeeding and, and the constant touching you the constant pulling you there's something really so when you talk about sexuality how can you even feel connected to that part of you when you don't even feel connected to your body period like it's just not yours anymore you don't own it alone someone else is is using it is owning it with you and I don't mean to make it sound horrible. It's also beautiful and lovely. And you want to give everything that you can, of course, to your baby and your child. But I don't think it's surprising that so many women feel that disconnect and that sexuality is a big price that so many women pay. The good news, though, is that it doesn't last forever because as every, you know, as your children grow older, and become more independent, they become more separate from you, separated from you for good and for bad, you know, and I, and for a lot of women, you know, there is a point where you regain that back for different women, it's different ways. I made a bucket list, which is in my book, 
And I went out and sort of did loads of things that helped me reconnect with lots of sides of me that I felt like I lost. And sexuality was one of them, you know, and it included lots of some silly things, but some great things like I think movement, dancing, I did pole dancing. So it had like that element of, you know, of the, of the high heels and sort of doing all that was lovely. And I did a nude photo shoot and I, and I, I did loads of stuff, you know, and with my girlfriends and trips to Ibiza, just like really recapturing everything that I felt like I had completely disconnected from some people maybe can do it in the process i couldn't i needed to come out on the other side to first be able to to do all that <laughs> i love the idea of doing a bucket list and <laughs> yeah my thing for um for this year is to schedule in just once a month i feel like that's realistic and a something with my friends especially because i moved further out of London. So I don't, I'm not like within a five, 10 minute radius of them. And I've talked for the, probably the last 18 months. I've probably even bored you on the podcast with it, but I miss my friends. I miss my friends. I miss yeah. my friends. And so then I was like, I guess it's like a small, it's not quite a bucket list, but it's that thing of like once a month, I'm arranging to see my friends. And even if that is them coming to my house for the weekend, I've never been a good forward planner, but I'm like, that is going to be the thing that I do <laughs> to feel like That's myself great. and to feel like yeah. my old self. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to the Train Happy Podcast with me, Tally Rye. This is the podcast that helps you have a feel-good relationship with fitness, food, and body image. Each week, we'll be digging into an intuitive and inclusive approach to our health and well-being as we're joined by leading experts, friends of mine, and you to hear more about the journey of letting go of diet culture and feeling good in the skin you're in. It's a podcast for everyone, no matter what body you're in. You can find us wherever you found this podcast. Just search Train Happy wherever you get your podcasts and hit follow. There is nothing more horrendous than not getting sleep for a long duration of time. It is so cruel. It is so hard. Um, And I think, you know, how can you, how can you then have the energy to also chat about other things or go out or, or, or I don't know, even get dressed, have a shower. (laughs) I think, you know, 
we all have this image of, and this is again, where social media, by the way, is I think it's better today because you have enough people, I hope saying it, but before the idea of what a fresh mom looks like is, was so, so dishonest. You know, it was so dishonest anywhere you looked, it just looked so easy. And you do. And I think that also helps with the uh, contributes to the mom guilt, because if it doesn't feel that way, if you don't feel like wearing all white and doing your hair and having a full face of makeup and a massive smile and blah, 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 you know, through, you know, five seconds after you've had your baby, you feel like you've done something wrong. Like, how is this possible? Cause I've seen the images and I've seen the movies and I've seen it all. I think now maybe it's better. You, there's more representation of other things as well. It's, I was going to say it's better, but then I feel like there's this other side that you see where people are like, Oh, mums these days are so negative or mums think it's cool to slag off parenting. I know that I mean, you started your blog, I think in 2015, my thoughts and stuff, which um, was basically, I love that it, you said it yourself, it's blunt rants about motherhood, marriage, sex, all things to be. But do you find that there is a sort of pushback on, you know, your honesty as someone else's mums are negative? Um, I think I know what you mean. I, I've, I've seen it and I know what you mean. My first blog post in 2015 was titled, I love my kids, but sometimes I wish they would fuck off. And if you read it, I think it's very, very clear how desperately in love I am with my children. And that was always true. Like that was never not true ever. Um, so I feel like what I wanted to do then, and there wasn't a lot of it back then was to just be honest about how sometimes I just can't, or sometimes it's so tough and you have those thoughts. Um, you know, I mean, think about the mom who's like in the middle of the night, her kid does, her baby does have colic and they won't sleep and she hasn't slept and her boobs are engorged and all of that. And in that moment, she thinks I'm just going to put the baby down here and I'm going to get in the car and drive and never come back. And she's had that thought and that's a dark thought, you know, and, and if no one says to her, Hey, I had that thought as well. Let's see who can help you. Is there someone who can take the baby for a few hours so you can go into bed and just sleep? You know, then she's going to think that something is wrong with her. And that's kind of, well, to be honest, I started because I just wanted to vent. And I, and when I posted that, that blog post, it was one of those days where I was just at home and I knew I was about to just explode. And I asked Mike to leave with the kids so I could sit down and write this blog post. And I, I didn't have a blog. That was my first blog post. Um, but I do, I, I have seen throughout the years, this kind of tr growing trend of, of sort of constantly moaning about the kids, but never really, I don't know. And maybe what I was missing and I, I it's not even anyone specific because I can't even think of anyone specific as an example, but just, you know, for me, it was never about just moaning for the sake of moaning. It was because I was finding it really, really hard. And I and I did not know, by the way, at that time that there were other parents out there who felt that way. I didn't genuinely. I posted it thinking, you know, I'm going to get so much hate for this. Post. <laughs> um, and I didn't. I, I, I you know, I, I people were saying thank you. Like, I, I, I didn't know anyone else felt that way. But like I said, I haven't posted about my children in so long now because First of all, they're older now. And I feel like it's trickier with social media to post about your children when they're older because it has, yeah. you know, because before, even though they were featured quite a lot, it was very much about me. So my experience as a mother and they were obviously in there, but it was really about my experience, whereas now the challenges I'm facing as a parent with my children have to do a lot with them. So they're, you know, they're getting into preteens and the, you know, do you know what I mean? And that yeah. has nothing to do with me now. And I suppose that's personal to them. It's not up to you to yes. share that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the only thing I could write now about my kids is like how I love them and I can't believe that they're growing up and soon they won't want to do anything with me. And I'm so sad. And that's it. And no one wants to hear that. So <laughs> that's why I'm not posting about it. So I guess going back to my original question, which I didn't articulate well, but now that we're talking, I'm like, so this is what I mean. When I hang out with, and let's say I'm really excited to be a mom out of lockdown because all the mum clubs and stuff yeah. didn't exist in lockdown. So this wow. time around, but then I think, but there's a real in my head and guys, if you're listening and you get this, please let me know that I'm not just this like 
person on my own. But I think because I went through such a rough journey of it from going from such a high at the beginning to then totally crashing to the point I was suicidal, you know, in that sort of six to 12 month period. I find when I'm hanging around with new moms or pregnant moms, there's this sort of like, not deliberate, but sort of gaslighting. And I'm putting myself in this bracket because I used to also do this of like, oh, mums are so negative. They just need to look on the bright side. Yeah, you're tired, but it's worth it. People are ungrateful or or they're in that kind of bubble. And I love new mums. Like I want to support them because I know that they're going to go through some rocky bits, but I find it hard not to be able. It's like I feel like obligated to not talk about anything negative or tough because I don't want to scare yeah. them. So that's what I'm trying to say. There's almost like a, if if motherhood and the journey into it is matricense, which is kind of like an adolescence, it's like they're still in that the childhood yeah. phase of motherhood. And so there's, I almost feel like I have to monitor what I say and how I say mm. it and my experiences so as not to scare them or make them feel a certain type of way. Do you get that? Yeah, but then you hear, yeah, but then you hear, I mean, you know, some people would rather not know. And then you hear people who would say, like, why did anybody tell me? I have a uh, friend whose sister just had a baby. And again, it wasn't easy. And she's not finding it easy either at the moment. Uh, and, and all she's saying all the time is, why did anybody tell me? Like, why did I not know this? How did I, why didn't anybody say to me that this was going to happen or this was going to happen? So you get some people want it this way and some people want it that way and i guess there isn't just one glove fits all you know yeah um yeah and also i think that things can also be true at the same time you know you can be really really grateful for having your babies and completely think and feel that it is worth it. And I agree with that. But at the same time, hate the baby stage or sometimes want them to fuck off. Like it can work <laughs> at the same time. I don't, I, I don't see them necessarily as contradicting because I think definitely share from your experience. Yeah. I, I suppose it's probably more of a like wider societal issue about the yeah. romanticization, if yeah. that's a word of motherhood that, you know, it's like none of us want the just you wait comments. Like I hated that, like me being super excited yeah. in pregnancy. And anytime I, sh I shared excitement, it'd be like, just you wait. And yeah. that's the hard thing. But I get that feeling of wanting to say it when you hear people being like, oh, you know, this sleep's tough, but it's worth it. And it is hard not to be but like. But that might be their experience. That might genuinely be their experience. That's the thing. There's no just one experience. My sister had an amazing, uh, she had amazing birth. Like she loved the baby stage she, for real, like for real. We could not have had a more different experience. I believe her that that's, you know, she, she was tired. Yes. They cried at night, but you know, but she was, she was okay. And even that doesn't say anything, you know, we, you just can't really compare experience to experience, you know, but you're right that the society has romanticized it. It's made it look like there's just one way that you're supposed to be a mom, or there's just one experience or two, this side and that side, when all the shades of gray in the middle are just always kind of not really represented. I think actually how I found you on the internet was your um, videos around feminism and women's rights. And obviously you're a mom of three girls. I'm about to become a mom of a girl. Do you think like becoming a mom of daughters made you more of a feminist or made you more aware of feminism and made you, I guess, like want to champion the world, like women's rights to make it a better world for your daughters? Yes. <laughs> uh, I've always championed uh, women's rights and it's always been something uh, that I'm really passionate about. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, being a mom of girls has made me feel like I like have a real purpose. I, you know, I, I'm so, I'm so desperate to try and make the world better for them, for their future. A lot of the content that I obviously create is for women about women. Um, a lot of it, obviously they haven't watched and they can't watch, but, uh, it kind of seeps into everything, I guess, uh, in our house. So hopefully not in an annoying way, but I always joke about it. We, my kids can spot sexism, like a mile away, you know, they can sniff it <laughs> very quickly. And I, I, I feel like most sexist 
experiences or encounters that I had in my life went completely above my head throughout my teens, throughout my twenties. And I probably became more and more aware, like in my thirties, because I was just so used to them. Like I was, it was just so everywhere in movies that I watched and, you know, just the way the world is that I didn't even notice. So I, I, I quite like the fact that at the age of nine, they can sort of spot it, you know, a mile away that my daughters had a, a gym, a PE teacher sort of asked them to run. And he gave the girls the short laps and said, the boys are going to run the big lap and the girls are going to run the, the short lap. And my daughter sort of went, excuse me, that's sexist. We all need to run the same since <laughs> she's nine. And they obviously let them all run the same thing. And I don't <laughs> think he ever thought about that. So I feel like that's great. And, uh, and I, yeah. And I ruin a lot of movies for them as well, because, you know, you, you, you view the world now differently and you go, God, how did I not know? notice this so we i'm very annoying to watch movies with i'm aware of that yeah i I imagine even things like i always say like becoming a feminist or becoming aware of gender inequality it's kind of like something that you almost wish that you didn't have because you're like the world was so much simpler when i could just watch greece and enjoy enjoy the musical as opposed to being like he didn't ask consent. He really pushed her there. Yeah. That's not no, that's so true. <laughs> yes. But also I think if you look back and you think about it, uh, the first time or when you watch these, uh, you know, Greece or other like pieces of content that were very, that are now very, very obvious. I don't know. I have vague memories of feeling a little bit uncomfortable or knowing that something wasn't exactly right. But you know, when you look around and you go, well, no one else is saying anything. And and this is like a really popular movie, so it must be okay. Like, it's just me, and I just brushed it off. Because I think intuitively we knew, you know, we all, we knew. See, I don't think I did. Because like, I, I also grew up, you know, Cruel Intentions was like the biggest movie ever when I was about 13. And I remember really being like, wow, I want to be the girl like Reese Witherspoon. I don't want to be a, yeah. a slut like Sarah Michelle Gellar. Like I, yeah. it was really painted to me of like, if you're virginal and if you're good, that's like pure and that's pretty and the guys love you. Whereas if you're like a slut like Sarah Michelle Gellar, like that's evil and that's bad. Yeah. So I really do feel like I was sort of brainwashed in that and also that was perpetuated by my school like I went to an all boys school there was 500 boys 37 girls I started at 14 we were the first set of girls and there was so much slut shaming and so much like really inappropriate behavior like I remember we did not we did but the boys had this thing called de-kegging which is essentially sexual assault but it was where they would pick a girl it was usually after sport so we'd be in tracksuits and they'd say be coming from the rugby pitch they'd pick a girl to target and they would try and de-keg them which meant pulling down their pants so you'd be 14 15 years old and suddenly you'd have like the first 15 rugby team running towards you and they would be trying to pull down your pants and at the time I remember like our biggest fears were either that we'd forgotten to shave because obviously body hair was like the most shameful thing in the world or we'd be on our period and maybe like our tampon string or our sanitary pads would be showing and it would be haunting and the teachers never once pulled up the guys and were like hey this is actually not appropriate it they'd actually tell us off if we scream because they were like, you're attracting attention. You know what boys are like. So my question to you that I feel like everybody wants to raise a strong daughter, but how do you even go about it? Because I feel like I'm getting comments already and I'm witnessing comments already of of like, number one, my biggest pet peeve, everyone going to like saying to Alf, like, oh, he's going to be such a heartbreaker. And I'm like, I hope not. Whereas then you get the comments on the other side now that I'm having a girl of people being like, oh my God, you're going to have to lock her up until she's 18. And it's like, but but I don't want to lock her up. But, oh, I could just empower her mm-hmm. to make good choices yeah. for herself. For anyone listening who is maybe in the new mum stage or finding out they're having a daughter, or I guess even a mum to a son, it's relevant. Like, How do you raise good daughters and good sons first of all it's true i i feel like how we raise our sons is uh just as important possibly even more important because a lot of the times it's low bar of expectations we have actually from boys you know you you gave the example of your school it's a great example no one talked to the boys they had there was no expectation from them and i do think that girls there's far more expectations from girls than there are from boys 
If you think about sexual violence, it's all about how you protect yourself rather than how to, you know, to just not be violent or not to rape or not to do any of these things. So I think it is a matter of raising everybody to just be really respectful, to talk about stuff like consent. I think you're going to encounter loads of this kind of uh, gender stereotypes. I mean, you know, gender stereotypes set in as early as the age of five, but it starts from the moment you're pregnant, from gender reveals being the pink and blue, from how we design our nurseries, from the toys that we buy our children, from the clothes that we put on them, the slogans on the clothes, from the programs that they watch, from what people say to them, the words we use. I mean, you you witness it on a daily basis, but like you said, you're sometimes we're so brainwashed you don't see it. It's like the matrix. Once you open your eyes to it, you will see it everywhere. I was at a barbecue a, a couple of years ago with lots of people who had children. Everybody had children, and everybody was playing football. Kids, grownups, everybody, boys, girls, everyone. A boy fell over and he started to cry, and the response of the people around him was, "Come on, champ." Come on, champ. Up you go. Come on. You're a winner. You can do this. Let's go. Good for you. You're so brave. And then two minutes later, a girl fell over and started to cry. And the response was completely different. The response was, are you okay? Oh, sweetie, do you need a hug? Do you want to sit down? You don't have to play if you don't want it. Come, should we, should we put a bandaid on? Da, 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 da. It starts so early, so, so little. So, you know, and then it moves on to what expectations do we have of girls and boys in the house? Do we, if, do we expect our children to do chores? And if so, are they all doing the chores or are we expecting a bit more from the girls? Are we expecting certain chores from the girls and certain chores from the boys? Is there really a reason why boys take out the trash and the girls do the dishes? really like is there (laughs) there's loads of things and it just carries on throughout our life yeah and there's so much in language isn't there like um even tommy does it sometimes i mean alf is so young he doesn't even understand but if tommy's going to work he'll be like you're the man of the house now and i'm like but there's a woman in the house that's capable to look after you know but he's like oh you're so sensitive and i'm like no but it's like I don't need him. Why does there have to be a man in the house when I'm just as capable? And, um, you know, like the whole thing of like, don't be a girl, don't grow a pair. And it's like, sorry, we literally, like I gave birth out of my vagina, like grow a vagina because they are a lot more resilient than balls. Like why do, but then I suppose it also teaches us as women to reject femininity. So then we go through that stage of being like, I'm not like the other girls. I'm not like the other girls because actually being a girl is inherently bad in society. Yeah, totally. I mean, honestly, once you dive into it, you can't, there's so many layers to peel. I feel like for parents to, if they, if this is important to parents so that, you know, their children, next generation, maybe, you know, do a little bit better then you have to at first educate yourself. And I think, you know, to, to read up about gender stereotypes, to get a bit more information about how sexism, by the way, is linked to sexual violence. Cause it's not just about inequality. When we think about pay gaps or it has to do with actual sexual violence, you know, and, and, I think, yes, that's the extreme side of the scale, but it's 100% connected. You know, if we allow ourselves that kind of those stereotypes and the way we label people, these things are gradual and they become more and more and more extreme and in the extreme form. Yeah, it's violence towards women. I was going to say, how is casual sexism linked to sexual violence? Because... So I see it all the time, for example, in the news this week, they were talking about criminalizing with catcallers. And I I saw these, um, obviously it's always guys being like, oh, you can't do anything anymore. And it's really hard to try and explain to them why it's not just catcalling. Like how, how can you explain to people who might think, oh, it's just overreacting or the world's going crazy, that all of those things are linked. I mean, the way I look at it, I see it as a gateway, like a gateway drug, because it opens the door to things that are more extreme. And just to give an example, so if you think about someone on the street, sort of, you know, how quickly it becomes sexual harassment, for example, if you're walking down the street and someone, you know, whistles and that's okay, and no one says anything, and then the next day they might shout something and it might be like, hey, look at you and you're 
jugs or something along those lines. So now they're talking about your body. And then the next day they might cross the road and I don't know, maybe pinch you on your ass. Cause that's happened to a lot of us. if not most of us, if not all of us. And then the next day they might get annoyed that you're not, you know, you're not, uh, you're ignoring all of this. So they might stand in your way and that's now starting to be a bit more kind of, you know, do you know what I mean? And, and, and maybe they grab you the next day and it just leads into like much more, much more severe and problematic behavior where at the end of the day, it's more about respect because the point is that it's not respectful and it's not, and, and no one wants it. It's unwanted attention in a, in a sexual context as well. That's just not, not okay. And the other thing that I've noticed, by the way, you know, you mentioned, um, that whole theory about the slut versus the virginal, the Madonna whore. The, yeah, exactly. So I did a talk about sexism uh, to a bunch of rabbis <laughs> uh, a while ago. And, uh, you know, these were young men all in their like twenties, they're training to be rabbis and we're talking about sexism. And, you know, I could tell that they, and I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to shame them. It wasn't about them being rabbis, by the way. It was just a room full of young men. And they, I could tell that in their mind, at the back of their mind right here, you know, somewhere at the back of their mind, they they saw a difference between their wife to someone who is dressing uh, slutty she doesn't deserve the same respect as their wife. So if I'm catcalling yeah. her, it's legit because she was dressed the way she was dressed. So she should have expected it, whatever. But my wife, who is a modest woman who's dressed properly, she's the mother of my children. You're not going to, that's not okay. So my point is like men have made this kind of like this adjustment in their brains to say that, they they agree that catcalling isn't okay, but to their wives, to their mothers, or their daughters, to their daughters, yeah. but not to let's say me who's walking down the street with a you know a, whatever. And they don't know me. I'm wearing a dress, whatever. That's okay. Someone you don't know. So they know that catcalling is not okay. They know. They've just made it. They've made an arrangement in their head <laughs> that's allowed it to certain type of women. Right. These are type of women that in their minds do not deserve respect. But I feel like as humans, we all deserve respect. It doesn't matter what you wear. It doesn't matter who you are, you know, and, and, and beyond that, you are someone's mother or daughter or sister or whatever. So it's like you always see when guys, this is a massive stereotype, but, you know, typically when they get involved in discussions, it's like as a father to daughters, yeah. and it's like, yeah. you don't need to have daughters to not want us to be murdered yeah let's take it back you mentioned you mentioned gender reveals so i did a i didn't do a gender reveal but i did the whole like popping a pink cannon um i did it with alf as well with the blue one mainly because we we're in lockdown and we wanted to like try and celebrate to our families sure. when we let them know what we were having it's really hard one for me because I get the whole like stereotyping, you know, I, I, I'm i not like, hey, Alf, you're a boy. Here's a truck. Like, you know, he loves dolls. He dresses like in different colors. I, I avoid buying clothes with prey, like predators on them, like the sharks and the dinosaurs until there's a day if he's like, hey, mom, I love dinosaurs. Yeah. And of course, I'll be like, he's expressing interest. Let's go crazy on the dinosaur thing. But how do we do the gender reveal? Because here's my thing is like it is different raising a son to raising a daughter because we don't live in that utopian world of equality yet and actually there's conversations that I'll have to have with my son that was yeah. so different to conversations I'll have with my daughter and I was so excited to find out I was going to be a girl mom not because I'm like yeah I get to do ballet with her and <laughs> we get to you know watch Disney princess films because I, I know I could do those with Alf if he wanted to and in the same way, like my sister is the biggest football head. My brother doesn't care about football. So I know that, yeah. you know, if Tommy dreams of having a footballer child, it could be our daughter yeah. that ends up being the footballer child. But I was so excited to have a daughter and felt like I wanted to celebrate that because I was like, all of these lessons that I've learned as a woman, I can't wait to be able to like share that wisdom with a daughter but how could I have done the gender reveal? I called it a sex reveal, but how could I have done that without the pink and blue? 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I didn't do, uh, we didn't do it at all because I just didn't feel the need to do it at all. But I know a lot of people like doing uh, gender sex reveal. Yeah, because I always see that on social. It's like gender reveals are so outdated. And I'm like, yeah, but what if we want to like celebrate that? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. How do you find as a mum now that your girls are older that obviously you're making a point to raise strong independent girls and trying to make them aware of sexism but there must be like an element of it's so ingrained into school culture yeah so how how do you deal with that don't even like get me started on that that's uh it's so it's so difficult you know we we obviously moved now we're we live in portugal at the moment um, and we had uh, incidents as well with the school in England, but it's like you said, it's not even specifically about the school. It's not a school. It's the whole system. And it's and, and you and I've, I've already encountered so much of it. It's yeah, it's very, very difficult. It's very challenging. This will make you laugh. But the only way for me to handle it here and what I've been doing, it's like I've just become far more involved in the school than I ever wanted to be. I'm not the PTA <laughs> mom like I'm so not that person but the only way for me to deal with it is to go right I'm here I've got suggestions yes I'm that annoying mom but like like I'm, I don't really think I'm an annoying mom I think it's amazing and they should be really grateful that people put up their time like and want to make things better but the thing is you'll be amazed there's a real lack of awareness there really is it always surprises me yeah, I just think we're so used to it. I think it is the biggest brainwash of our society, or maybe people don't care. I don't know. Uh, but I, I've just gotten much more involved, and there's other parents uh, like me who are quite passionate. So we're just trying to get involved. And is that kind of fighting the boys will be boys narrative? Yeah, that too. But but also sometimes it's subtle. It's more subtle than that because I think people hopefully know better than that now. But it's it's along those lines. You know, they had a piece of homework. I'll give you one example. They had a piece of homework sent uh, home and they had jobs, you know, uh, professions. Right. So they had to translate it from a different language. The men were the scientists, the engineers, the judges, the lawyers, the doctors. Right. And the women were ballerinas, uh, cheerleaders, actress, nurse. And nothing wrong with any of those jobs, but you see where I'm going, right? The, yeah. the men's jobs were higher earnings, jobs that have much more influence on infrastructure, on lawmaking, on anything, you know? And I mean, it was so obvious to me. I stared at it. I was like, no way this was actually sent home in 2022. But yeah. And I think um, a lot of things just go under the radar. And also, you, you this will also make you laugh. One of my daughters picked up on it as well. And we were chatting about it. And I said to her, like, I wonder if we can find better pictures to give them, to help them to create a better, a better piece of homework. So we Googled pilot, right? On the internet to try and find images of mm-hmm. women pilots. And of course, three pages on Google came up with just men pilots. We had to actually write female or woman pilots to see. And the same happened with judge and the same happened. So, you know, so, so it's, it's, you have to actively, like, it's not even like be aware. You have to be like actively it's crazy. I think because I, I did grow up with all these stereotypes, but I really notice a change in the books and the, yeah. you know, the super simple songs. It's like this YouTube channel. I noticed that there is really positive change. Yeah. So there's a book series called, um, so it'd be like, where's Mrs. Astronaut? And then you go throughout the book and it's like, where's Mrs. Engineer? Where's Mr. Doctor? And they are all different genders. But also I really see um, this morning we were watching this song it's like i mean it's so annoying but it goes like look at me sitting on the party and i was noticing like oh wow they've got same-sex parents yeah. and single parents yeah. and, and it's not a thing it's not like there's the gay couple yeah. it was like they're just there subliminally like showing that family looks different and i was like this is really cool because it didn't exist when i was young you know you didn't see stuff like that so for alf hopefully it's just really normal that he he witnesses that i agree and you're right the, the the there's so much stuff coming out now and even for my kids ages that is 
yeah, it's great. Like you're like, oh, that's that's fantastic. Someone thought about it. And I do agree. I like it when it's not like obvious. They don't push it at you. It's just it's just there, you know, because you see a different world and you see a world and that's exactly it. Just like we were brainwashed and we got used to seeing things and rape culture was just part of the culture growing up with movies like Grease and songs like, you know, Baby, It's Cold Out There or whatever. You know, the more we see content that's just different, you know, our eye will get used to it and it'll hopefully detangle this horrendous brainwashing. Yeah, it blows my mind now. Like I used to love rap music and I still love like, rap but i find it really hard to listen to like the yeah. sexist lyrics that i just used to take for granted and i remember i even went through a phase of being like yeah i'm a feminist but i also love like really sexist rap music so kill me and now i've got to a point where i'm like i can't even listen to it but also yeah. it's controversial when megan the stallion and cardi b sing about i don't know whatever they sing about that's really overtly sexual yeah. and it's like and people lose their minds about it but i'm like but now it's equal yeah. so if you don't want guys to sing about blowjobs then yeah like if you don't want girls to sing about people going down on them then you shouldn't expect men to sing about blowjobs like it's literally the same thing yeah but anyway one thing final thing because i could talk to you for so long about so many things and i feel like we've basically just had a chit chat but obviously lots of um people listening are new mums and in that new mum or mums to be um stage what would be your advice as a veteran mom of um navigating relationships and the changes that come with relationships my biggest advice to any you know young parents or first-time parents or at the beginning of that journey honestly is is accept any help that is offered to you if you have family that can help if you have friends who have offered to take your kids for the night if you've had if you can afford hired help any help honestly like i because and especially for first time and especially for moms there's this kind of really wanting to do it all yourself and do it and do it all yourself and if you can and it's not coming with an enormous price where you feel like you're about to you know you you can't take it anymore then you go girl but like if if it's coming with a price and you feel like you're falling apart there's no need for you to fall apart you're you're a really great parent if you say i need help and you accept help that's offered and i feel like that's you know i i i really appreciated it when people said that to me at the beginning especially with the twins when it was so difficult and i did need help i look back now i'm sad that it was such a that it, that it was so hard because i feel like it did rob me of any kind of nice moments but i do not regret for one minute the amount of help that we had uh i know it was completely needed what what other advice would you give to moms who are maybe like struggling in terms of relationships, sorry, because I didn't uh, point on that. Um, me and my husband had a few really tough years, actually, after the, you know, after becoming parents, because, again, you sort of lose so much of you. We lost so much of us. And we actually, a bit like you, I think, didn't have a very long romance and relationship before we had babies. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have like the, oh, five years of like doing loads of things, just the two of us. We, we didn't have that at all. We had a year, I think just over a year, a year and a half. I can't remember now, but like not a lot of time at all. So really our relationship is kind of, it feels like it's always been with children. Um, and I find that really tough. Like that's really, really hard when they were quite small. I think when they were about two, um, I had just turned, uh, when the twins were, I think nearly three, I, I, I had turned 40 and we decided to do this massive trip to Vegas, just the two of us. And, I was again, not even sure I was going to get on that plane because I, I was like, no, like, what am I doing? This is crazy. But Mike sort of said, no, we really need this. Like we really, really need to go. I think at that point, I didn't even know if we would survive, like if our relationship would, would survive because there was no relationship. It was like, hand me the thing. Where are the wet wives? Oh, you're annoying me. Like it was just this constant barking at each other. And just, you know, it was just not good. Um, and I have to say, not to say that that trip changed everything. We went back, we came back and we still barked at each other, right? But my point is that in those five days, 
when the kids were so far and on a different time zone, and that is key because you can't call them even if you want to. <laughs> like that was really key, right? Um, I, I sort of went, oh God, I remember why I like this guy. Like I suddenly remembered him. You know what I mean? We sat across the table. Instead of the logistics. And I kind of went, oh, yeah, you're funny. Oh, I remember this. You know, and it was like, it was like <laughs> almost start getting to know him again without the babies, without the kids, without the diapers, without, you know, the to-do list. And I think we, we then after that decided to just make sure that we have those moments so that we, 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 we've done a few of these trips, not as far as Vegas, but we have done like these, you know, let's go for a couple of nights. Let's, you know, and again, it's not always easy because you don't always have enough people in your life to, that you trust with your kids. But we go to Israel once a year to visit my uh, parents and we we always leave the kids with my mom for a few nights. <laughs> like we always do that. So try to find the times that you can be not mommy and daddy, but just you guys the way you were, you know, uh, without the children. <laughs> and any other any other final words that you wish maybe you could tell yourself as a new mom? Um, well, I was going to say, uh, remember to lock your door if you do have sex and your child is in the house. <laughs> I honestly absolutely love chatting to you. I feel like I could have talked to you about so, so many topics, but um, I'm absolutely bursting for a week. Go, go, go. Second time pregnancy, pelvic floor is <laughs> not the one. Like I, I was honestly, I've got messages from a listener but I'm sorry guys I literally cannot do it today but Tofa thank you so much Pleasure. for coming on and chatting and guys um, thank you for listening as well to Mums the World Parenting Podcast don't forget all of the stuff I say every week but hit subscribe or follow button so you don't miss an episode and if you want to get in touch I promise you my pelvic floor will hopefully be better this is karma as well for eating all of our chocolate so send a whatsapp message if you want a voice message on whatsapp and the number is 075999 or of course email at askmumsthewordpod at gmail.com or you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And Tova, what's your Instagram for those who want to find you? It's Tova underscore Lee. So I'm going to put that in the blurb below as well. And I'll be back with another episode, same time, same place next week. Thank you so much. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.